Welcome to the Knobcast. Thank you for dropping by. This is where we simplify Bitcoin. I'm your host, Mary Victoria, and this podcast is sponsored by Bitnob. Bitnob is an easy-to-use app where you can automatically save, borrow, earn, send, and receive Bitcoin all in one place at the cheapest rates. Download Bitnob, B-I-T-N-O-B, from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store using the links in the show notes. Or visit the website at bitnob.com. That's B-I-T-N-O-B.com. Everyone is entitled to have access to Bitcoin, even the ones who don't have access to a smartphone. In this episode, I interviewed Katatsu Ngako, founder and CEO of Machankara, a USSD service that gives people access to Bitcoin. He's also the founder of Exonomia Africa, a project involved in translating Bitcoin material into native African languages. Aside from Machankara and Exonomia, we got to talk about Bitcoin adoption and culture, and how they're very similar to the adoption of hip-hop and rap music. And if you love this podcast, feel free to send us a boost on Fountain.fm. Fountain.fm is a platform where you can support your favorite podcast by sending Bitcoin via the Lightning Network. To send us a boost, just tap on the Thunderbolt icon next to the podcast name on Fountain.fm. So buckle your seatbelt, subscribe to the podcast, drop a review, and without further ado, let's cue the intro. Hi, Kuntatso. Welcome to the show. Hello, Mary. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's nice having you here. So do you mind if you could tell us a little bit about yourself so our audience gets to know you? Yeah, I'm Kuntatso Ngaku from Pretoria, South Africa. I grew up in a township called Nangapias. Um, that's where I reside right now. Became a Bitcoin around 2017, 2018. But technically, I was in a cocoon uh, for since 2017, and then decided to come out that cocoon slowly in 2019. And thank you to the lockdown, I was like, oh, okay, cool, now, nah, man, uh, now is the time to become a full-fledged Bitcoiner because of what I thought was happening in the world at the time, and I had a sense of urgency. Before that. In my teen years, I was a rapper, actually. I always hanged out uh, with uh, my brother and his friends. And yeah, they are the guys that raised me. Actually, hip-hop raised me. Uh, most of my personality was formed during those years, from 14 years of age until like 18, where I was actually listening to a lot of uh, hip-hop music, writing my own rap songs and stuff like that. And yeah, back in that day, back, uh, when we started, hip hop wasn't a welcome thing uh, in the neighborhood. You know, like yeah, we are African kids in an African township, and then now you, here comes a group of guys um, rapping in English and wearing baggy clothes, wearing baggy jeans, wearing bright colors and stuff like that. Everyone would call us uh, in a bad way, obviously, um, a bad term as well. Hip-hop was not welcome in the South African community by the vast majority of the black community, actually. There was a transition between, I think, 2010, 11, 12, 13 to now, whereby 
through some magic of um, virality, hip hop became the biggest genre in the country, or one of the biggest genre in the country. I think now I'm a pianist, the biggest genre in the, the country. And I walk around my neighborhood at the park and kids are just blasting rap music on their Bluetooth speakers. And I'm like, wow, um, imagine if I was able to do that back in the day without looking weird, you know, because yes, I did that, but I actually had a boombox as well uh, with batteries and stuff. And we would go into the trains and rap, uh, going coach to coach and rap. Um, while promoting some of the shows we put together. But now, people just do that freely, not because they are rappers, not because they are anything uh, in the hip-hop space, but purely because they enjoy the rap music. And they play it publicly with their friends. They play it at parties, at clubs. And back in their day, um, I was also a DJ in my teens. Hip-hop had like a two-hour slot. You know, and it couldn't be too late into the night because that's when the main DJs were playing house music. And then hip hop had maybe like two hours at the start of the night for the club when no one was in the when in the venue. And the weirdest thing is if you would put together a show, obviously you get those two hours at the start of the night and you manage to fill up the venue with your fans or with your audience. When the time comes to switch your house, they will switch your house, regardless of the fact that they have an audience of people who want to listen to a pop music. Yeah, I witnessed that transition. And I was mindful. I was like, wow, hip hop has become this uh, genre of music that people in South Africa, in the townships, wherever, across the continent, they are embracing it, you know. And if I could turn back the hands of time to 10 to 12 years ago and tell the people that, oh, this is what hip hop is going to be. This is how big hip hop is going to be. So yeah, I was introduced to Burna Boy's music through rap music as well in South Africa. I think he did a song with AK, might have done a few songs with AK and he was always killing it even back then. And then now fast forward and there's Bitcoin. And I strongly feel as if Bitcoin in Africa is at the same point that hip hop was um, 15 years ago in Africa, maybe even 20 years ago across the African continent. Um, because back then we had um, people who were very technically skilled uh, with regards to production and writing. Uh, my favorite being Pro Verb as a, a South African rapper and Zubs. And also to me, uh, if anyone follows my personal burner account, they will see that my Twitter bar is actually a reference to his one of his songs and a hook on one of his songs. So to me, off the volume, uh, to me and the volume. So Proverb, Zubs, and to me are probably my favorite rappers in the world. And listening to the music they were making 20 years ago, right, I'm like, damn, these guys were ahead of, of their time. You know, but not only that, um, Proverb was making music with the belief that hip hop was going to be the biggest genre in the country. You know, uh, there's a song where he's, um, he samples Martin Luther King. I am happy to share with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration. Now is the time. And yeah, actually, I invite any Bitcoiner to go listen to the first two Proverb albums 
maybe even the second is a more blatant uh, textbook that we should listen to because these albums were made at a time when hip hop was not as big as it is today by a person who believed that hip hop had what it took to become a global phenomenon he even considered his own albums to be collectibles whereby sometime in the future people will go back and be like oh i want to listen to that proverb album i want a physical copy of that proverb album and he put quite a lot of effort in his cover art as well uh the manuscript is his second album and to me listening to it today i'm like damn this is not just the manuscript for hip hop this is also a manuscript for bitcoin you know? um uh, specifically with regards to where bitcoin is today we have a lot of people in the space who are technically sound you know who have everything it takes for them to do whatever is required to make bitcoin a global phenomenon uh, if not a continental phenomenon but they are still early then i'm like okay cool what would it look like if we move the hands of time 20 years into the future and check in on these very same bitcoiners that are doing whatever they're doing now would they be as big as the hip hop artists that thought to do what they are doing 20 years ago uh your burner boys your proverbs your tumi and of of course now we have a lot more young kids doing this and they're doing it in a way that even the whole old heads didn't even imagine that hip hop could be done you know um mumble rap is also a thing i'm not a fan of mumble rap by the way but i understand <laughs> i understand why it's not because one of the things with rap music is you have to push the needle forward you have to push boundaries right it's hard to push boundaries because there's been so many talented artists who write so well who make music so interesting the only way to push the boundary is to go the other way yeah um don't don't try to be so full with the sample be kind you know and even kanye i i like him because he tries to experiment a lot and move away from his own sound um yeah he's also one of the rap artists that raised me and i'm like okay cool this guy is actually innovating himself and innovating what is acceptable in the media i'm hoping to see more of those in the bitcoin space over time or over the next 10 years over the next 20 years but judging by the trajectory yeah, i'm like oh bitcoin is where hip hop was 20 years ago and maybe even 50 years ago because i, I saw a video about dj me are talking about how hip hop is 50 years old or how we are experiencing hip hop in this day and age it's a 50 year old pop where it became commercialized and able to be a mainstream genre a mainstream art it's a 50 year old thing even now as i watch shows like the ozarks uh, there's this character called who who's playing rap music and i'm like damn you know if you turn back the hands of time again 10 years um 20 years and tell me that i'll be watching a series and they will be randomly playing a gangster song in the series they'll be randomly playing a dj premier song in the series i would be like you're lying that will never happen they don't have a reason to play fuck the police on a mainstream um series on netflix you know they don't have a reason to play shoot 'em up on hbo right but hip hop just became so enshrined in the culture 
that they have all the reasons to add it to the soundtrack. You know? I don't know. I, I haven't watched Stranger Things, but I'm quite sure if the show hasn't finished yet, they will have a, a rap song from the 80s or from the 90s on their soundtrack. And that's basically me in a nutshell. I actually really enjoyed this because even before you mentioned Bitcoin, I could literally point out a lot of similarities between hip hop and, and Bitcoin. And um, it's really interesting to just see how you also brought that connection because mm. like we are so early. I feel like we're just literally scratching the surface right now. Like we even look at the lightning network. We say that, mm. oh, that thing is crazy. That's re really huge. But like, I feel like we've not even seen its full potential yet. And just the way people are like, oh, why are you listening to rap and hip hop? Like that, is that even music? You know, um, but that's, and that's exactly how there are some people out there who respond or react to Bitcoin. Like, oh, what is that? That's, you know, is it even safe? I, I just feel like the connection you drew is just such a perfect example of what's happening to Bitcoin right now. We as Bitcoiners, we can see right into the future that in the next 20 years, Bitcoin will be like super mainstream. Is this mainstream now? Like we're now hearing of people will say, oh, I don't know what Bitcoin is, but I've heard a lot of people talk about Bitcoin. And I feel like in the next 20 years, we'll hear more people saying, oh, I own Bitcoin. And it's just, I feel like we're in exciting times. Sometimes we have to go through this phase of, um, you know, working, developing Bitcoin related stuff, because we know that one day Bitcoin is going to be recognized. All the hard work that people put into the Bitcoin ecosystem is going to be recognized, um, just like the way rap, hip hop is now recognized in Africa as the main thing. Because when you were sharing your story, it reminded me of something that my dad uh, once told me. He said back in his time, you would never hear African music. Uh, playing in discos or in bars like they will always play foreign music because they felt like that was the 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 in thing but now like wherever you turn whether you go to a supermarket or you even watch like something on television you're not hearing a lot of african music african rap african hip-hop which is something that wasn't very popular back then and i know that just in the same vein, Bitcoin will show itself like that too. So I'm excited. I feel like if that could happen to um, hip hop, why not Bitcoin, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd like to add to this point, actually, because um, it's twofold. Like even hip hop being what it is today, there's something else with, within it. Uh, there's two routes, you know, there's the commercial route. And there's purest thought. I'm, I'm just going to use the purest as a word. That is similar to the Bitcoin maximalist and the shitcoiner. In hip-hop, ever since hip-hop started commercializing, there has been this huge divide between the um, commercial rappers and the um, you know, uh, lyricists and so on and so forth. They got along. Uh, they were friends in the background, right? But... There's an interesting thing with Yosset. There's nothing wrong with commercial rap outside of the fact that most commercial rappers have very short careers. They sign you to a bad contract and um, two, three years later, you're broke. Right? And the lyrics is go the more independent route and manage to own 
their masters and manage to have a career that spans decades. Uh, the, this is basically your DJ premieres, your Talib Kweli's, your comments, right? And part of the reason I'm saying there's nothing wrong with commercial rap is because technically Jay-Z is a commercial rapper. But early on in his career, Jay-Z was like, no, mm, there's a problem with the business side of commercial rap. There's a problem with the contract. Um, there's a problem with how the decisions are being made. And I want to do this independently, right? So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to see that. Um, maturity over time like when does um, the um, what's the word essence between commercial rap and um, lyricism and independent rap or whatever the actual word should be become seen in the bitcoin space where now yeah now it's simple to see that okay cool um, bitcoin maximalism is good because it's more long-term focusing and so on and so forth. And shitcoinerism is bad because it's focused too much on immediate gains at the cost of the user. Right? And so I want to see that um, play out over the next decade. But uh, the point I actually wanted to make when I went off track is that when, uh, and I got reminded of this when you were saying the direction that Bitcoin is taking, right? A lot of the OGs, the purists, were already talking about this in the 80s, in the 90s. KRS-One being one of them. Um, in one of his songs says, they ask him where hip-hop is going. And he responds with, where are we going? You know? And mm. so that is the same thing with Bitcoin. You know? Where is Bitcoin going? And technically speaking, where are the Bitcoiners going? So what direction is the, are the Bitcoiners moving to? I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I just wanted to step in and tell you a little bit about saving Bitcoin with BitNob. The minute I started using BitNob, it changed the way I invest in Bitcoin forever. With BitNob, I can create a plan and it automatically invests in Bitcoin for me using the dollar cost average strategy. That's it, nice and easy. Download BitNob, B-I-T-N-O-B, and watch your Bitcoin investments grow. So if Bitcoiners want to have stable coins, eh, that is the direction that Bitcoin is going. Eh? 20 years from now, Bitcoin is uh, whatever Bitcoin is, but the thing that is at the forefront is going to be the stable coins because that would have been the direction that um, Bitcoin has decided to take eh? because of whatever reason the Bitcoin is... Uh, choose to say this is why we are using the stable coin right? and even uh, in the proverb thing he has a song called i am hip-hop you are hip-hop um we're soldiers and the truth is a hip-hop whatever whatever right and he's repeating the same statement because initially we used to say that hip-hop is graffiti graffiti hip-hop is break dancing hip-hop is rapping Hip-hop is having a cypher. Hip-hop is having all of these different elements, you know, that mm -hmm. made the art. The hip-hop is wearing baggy jeans and all those things. And he was just saying, yo, whichever way you choose to participate and propel hip-hop is what hip-hop actually is, right? And fast forward to all these decades later, 
and we can see hip hop has changed. You know, we went from baggy jeans to skinny jeans. Yeah. And <laughs> normal jeans again. Yeah. So um, people have changed because now people do change. People make different decisions. Yeah. And yeah, there are things we need to learn. There are things we need to find out. Um, questions we need to answer for ourselves. As in, what is it that we want as Bitcoiners? And what is it the type of life we want to live 10 years from now, 20 years from now? But ultimately, that is going to be the difference uh, in trajectory between the career that the Roots had and the career that Scott Scotch or yeah, Scott Scott Starch had. I think he's the guy who made um, the beat for "You Got Me" on on the Roots' album, and he also made the beat for "Still Dre" or "Forgot About Dre." One one of those. Right? But Scott Starch, his career went off flying you know, like a rocket ship. Because he was that dope of a producer. Like, I listened to those beats and I'm like, damn, this guy was doing this in the 90s. But ultimately, the issue became the lifestyle that came with that level of success. And yeah, it's only logical, you know, I have so much success in a very quick time. You're going to do cocaine and you're going to make money and fuck bitches. And that is not inducive to a long-term career unless you have a team around you that makes sure that even though you're high, the things that need to be done get done. But, you know, most of the time, that your team is also high too. Yeah, so now, I think we are at that point in the Bitcoin space where similar decisions have to be made. You can have very good success in a short-term period, but... How do you deal with that success? And there's nothing wrong with that success. But for the long term, for your long term participation in this thing, how are you going to handle it? Are you going to have people around you that make sure that whatever happens, you'll be able to do the next thing that you have to do? And yeah, so even the roots, I find them interesting that you've been able to have a stable career over the years. And it's a band. You know, it's harder to keep a band together than it is to keep um, one artist uh, um, making music. I see where you're you're coming from. But like, you know, if you look at the Bitcoin ecosystem, you see that there are there's a huge like diversity in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Right. Um, So from my perspective, uh, and that could be because of my background. So my background was kind of like polarized between the techies and the non-techies. So I'm a non-technical person. Um, My sister, for example, who's also a Bitcoiner, she's more of a technical person. And from my perspective, you know, based on my background, I looked at Bitcoin from like two different perspectives, the technical and the non-technical. The technical is known, right? The people who like develop all these amazing um, Bitcoin innovations, you know, products, features, um, the Bitcoin only companies and all that. And then you have the non-technical. These are like the people who use these um, who use these features or apps or pro, um, programs to live their Bitcoin life and or incorporate incorporate it into their Bitcoin life, right? So the Bitcoin you meant, exactly. So you have the um, like you mentioned the maxis, the shit coiners. Then we have the technical, not technical, technical. And although we are like very diverse in the Bitcoin ecosystem, 
I feel the only connecting point or the major core of, you know, or how we are joined with each other is Bitcoin, right? It is because of Bitcoin's existence that we are able to look at Bitcoin from different perspectives. Yes, there might be a style or there might be a trend um, in the movement of Bitcoin, right? Because when Lightning Network came in, all we spoke about was Lightning. You know, people started building things on Lightning, right? And in, and the non-technicals are using Lightning as a way of, um, you know, mode of payment or like um, tips and all these other things. So I think as Bitcoin develops and as we start seeing more interesting use, use cases, we might like that is where the conversation could be going. But I feel despite that, right, there will be a very diverse mix of Bitcoiners out there because the yes. more I engage with Bitcoiners, the more I, you know, talk to them and hear their perspective of Bitcoin, the more I start seeing that, wow, we can't put people in a box, right? We can't put Bitcoiners in a box. It's because there are some people that bet you're either maxi or not. Um, mm -hmm. But then you have, you have maxis who are creatives, you have maxis who are technical, you have maxis who are developers and all those kind of things. So I think it's quite beautiful to see how it all comes together because even, like you said, even in hip hop, you have like different genres, different styles, different views, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that is just what makes the ecosystem quite rich and um, very exciting. So you can go down the rabbit hole and keep going deeper and deeper into this thing because there's so many angles and so many branches this thing can get into. I feel like it's just a wonderful way to accommodate more people in the space. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Get your popcorn ready. It's going to be one hell of a show. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I know that you're working on a lot of very interesting projects, right? So yeah. um, someone introduced me to Machankara. I'm so blown away by it because, mm -hmm. you know, in my personal reflections with Bitcoin, I'm always like thinking, okay, I know I have access to Bitcoin because I have a smartphone, but then how about people who don't have a smartphone, like all those people who have feature phones, people in the villages, people in the rural areas, in the farms, like how do they have access to Bitcoin? And when someone told me about Machankara, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the missing piece. So for those who are listening, could you explain how Machankara works so that they get to be like, they get to feel wowed by what you're working on right now? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think you explained the problem quite well. So as it stands, the vast majority of people that use Bitcoin need to use it via an internet connected device, either a smartphone, either a laptop, either a desktop computer, either a Raspberry Pi, whatever. It should be internet connected. By the way, you can run a Bitcoin node on a fridge. But yeah, that's besides the point. And so how do people without access to the internet use Bitcoin? And as you said, a lot of people still have um, phones, feature phones that are connected to the telecoms infrastructure that they still use to communicate with other people. And that presents an opportunity to actually give that person access to Bitcoin. All we have to do is set up the things that need to be set up so that they use Bitcoin via the telecoms infrastructure. Technically speaking, doing this is nothing new. Uh, we've had Impesa since like 2008, 2009, if I remember correctly. So an Impesa leverages USSD and solves the problem for be people being unbanked. 
and it gives them a mobile money instead of money via the bank infrastructure. And yeah, my question was, why has no one actually done this via Bitcoin, uh, implemented a USSD uh, interface that allows people to hold, receive, and send Bitcoin? And that is basically what Machamukura is as a system, right? And um, the other side effect is the word. Machangura is a South African slang term for money. And so, yeah, Bitcoin is a form of money as well. Um, as you said, with regards to Lightning, Lightning has allowed people to use Bitcoin for microtransactions. And it's really not microtransactions, if you are being honest. Right? Uh, it's very legit transactions. As long as somebody else is willing to receive the payment, it's a transaction. A payment to do a service or provide a good, um, it's a transaction. Nothing about it is micro. And Lightning allows us to do way more than we could have done before it existed. Cool. Yeah, that's basically the service origin story in a nutshell. Yeah, and it's very fascinating because through USSD and Bitcoin, you were able to bring bitcoin and the lightning network to people who only have feature phones which is great i'm so mm. excited about it because this is just another amazing opportunity to orange pill people in villages and farms especially like in a, in africa where we have a lot of people in rural areas um and you know one thing i i always say is that i feel like africa is where we need bitcoin the most um especially you know trying to get more people access to um financial services but like mm -hmm. for those who are listening to this podcast do you mind if you can walk through how machankara works so i know yeah. that it's a, it's a podcast we can't see <laughs> you can't see it work but mm -hmm. uh, i i've heard you explain how it worked on a twitter space so take it mm -hmm. away cool so uh, anyone who's listening um, and if you are in the any one of these countries, let me see, uh, let me get the official list. So it's Nigeria, Kenya, Malawi, Ghana, South Africa, and what's the yeah, in Uganda, right? So um, since um, you guys are in Nigeria, I'm just gonna assume that the majority of your audience is in Nigeria, and use that as an example. So if we have you're some in people Nigeria, in Ghana too. Oh, okay, cool. If you're in Ghana or Nigeria, if you're in Ghana, take out your phone and dial star 920 star 8333 hash. And that's star 920 star 8333 hash for a person who's in Ghana. And if you're in Nigeria, you dial star 347 star 8333 hash. I repeat for uh, people in Nigeria, star 347 star 8333 hash. And you should see a menu that says, welcome to my Changkura, like that. Register or learn more. And learn more just tells you what my Changkura is. And it also hints at you at what Bitcoin is. And also hints at you at who Satoshi Nakamoto is. And so on and so forth. And so now you say register account and enter a PIN. Five-digit PIN, six-digit PIN could be whatever. And from there, you have now created your Machangura account. Now you have an option to go back to the menu, which should be different now, or which should show you um, send Bitcoin, receive Bitcoin, buy goods and services menu. Right? So 
Then if you go to the receive Bitcoin menu, you will see a lightning address, which is your phone number at 8333.mobi. And yeah, with that phone number, you can receive lightning or you can receive SAPs from any other wallet that has a lightning address support. So technically speaking, oh yeah, Bitnob has lightning address support. So if you have a Bitnob account, you can send sets to anyone who's on um, the Machanku service by using their lightning address. And so yeah, the user who's on USSD can also set their username. And yeah, this is basically there so that you don't have to share your phone number with everyone who might be sending you sets. Right, so um, my username is potato at 8333.mobi. So feel free to send us that lightning address. You should get the spelling of my name in the show notes somewhere on the title. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, the more sets you can send, the better. And yeah, and that's basically the process. And then from there on, you can also send sets out of the service to any other lightning address or to any other phone number um, that's on the service. If uh, you're sending to a phone number that's not on the service, that person is going to get an SMS notification being told that they are being gifted Bitcoin and they have seven days to create an account so that they claim the gift. If they don't claim the gift within seven days, then those um, Bitcoins are sent back to their user. Oh yeah, you can buy stuff using the USSD interface. So at the current moment, we allow you to buy airtime uh, from Bitrefill using the USSD interface in all the countries we are live in. Um, if there's a bug, it's going to crash because obviously I can't test in all countries from South Africa. So please let me know if you find a bug so that I can fix it. Yeah, and um, what else is there from the USSD interface? Oh yeah, in other countries you might be able to buy electricity, but I haven't made that live yet because Bitrefill has a feature to allow people to buy electricity, even even um, they can also let you pay bills. But man, yeah, so um, I'll make that live sometime soon. And yeah, in Nigeria and in Kenya, you might not be able to receive SMSs because I'm doing some paperwork here. Yeah, guys, paperwork is tiring. You know? uh, <laughs> I prefer programming. And yeah, but that should be solved soon. And hopefully by soon, I mean end of the week or early next week and yeah what else is there did i miss anything no i don't think so because when i got the chance to use machankara i played around with it (laughs) i clicked like Mm -hmm. almost i tapped on like almost everything and because it's just so much fun i remember uh when i got introduced to machankara i quickly went to meet my my parents and i was like oh my gosh this thing is so cool i just showed my dad because i my dad has a feature phone and it was like so cool to see it in action then uh, i shared it with some of my friends so i used my bitnob um account because you know we have a lightning address so i was able to send sats using their machankara lightning address um from my bitnob app and it was easy and seamless so it's mm. it's very cool, and I'm very excited to see how far it will go. Um, mm-hmm. I love the fact that you have plans for giving people the opportunity to buy things over um, the mm. USSD platform, which is really cool. I think that makes it very accessible. So I guess now I would 
I think after this interview, I'm definitely going to try and see if I can buy call credits. That would、mm. be so cool. I've been wanting to like stop using my bank to buy call credits for such a long time. And now I have this USSD feature on my Chunk Chrome, which is going to make it so much easier. So I'm so excited. So、mm-hmm. the question that I feel some people might have in their mind right now is okay, I sent sats to a relative who's living on the farm somewhere. In Africa, using Machankara. How can my relative now cash this and turn it into fiat so that he can use it to buy food, for example? So, what would that process be like? Okay, so to keep my answer short, right,、uh, I do not participate in that side of the、um, uh, usage of the app. you know If a person feels like orange filling the person they're buying food for, you know might as well do it. Might as well tell them, yo, I can send you some Bitcoin. Over USSD, and would you be willing to give me、um, the food? Or they can go through the steps required to set up a BitNob account and send the Bitcoin they have on the Machangura wallet to BitNob and do the what's this、uh, transaction that way. But、uh, technically speaking, I do not see a future whereby、uh, Machangura allows a person to convert. From Bitcoin to fiat and vice versa, so this is going to be a Bitcoin only wallet, you know,、mm-hmm. um, in the same fashion as、um, Phoenix Wallet doesn't allow you to convert from、um, Bitcoin to something else, right? And part of the reason I'm doing that is because paperwork, you know, I really do not have the capacity to set up the paperwork required. To do or to become a fiat on ramp, I do have the capacity to be a Bitcoin only wallet because it's an open source technology, and I can do implement that as a one man team and manage that and make sure that scales. But I cannot make sure that paperwork scales because as soon as I do that, there's a thousand more pages that need to be read. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, aside, I just don't see that in the future, but. If anyone wants to implement a similar service that has yet unrampant functionality, please be my guest. You know there is a strong use case for that, but that is a use case I am totally never gonna have the appetite to do, especially now. With all the crazy regulation, yeah, absolutely, and and totally like understand that. So one thing I I feel about um this podcast really is that it is because we have like very interesting guests on the show. It's a, an avenue for people who are listening to you know think big, right? So. You mentioned this particular use case.、Mm-hmm. Maybe someone on this episode will be inspired to create something that will help, you know, on ramp and off ramp, right? Where someone could use the machankara, go to、uh, maybe like an agent, and then withdraw fiat from that agent using、um, their Bitcoin. Like, it's just I feel like it's just an avenue to just think big and start learning. Maybe someone might want to do it. I heard that join easy. Is actually working on that, or they already have that service where an agent could register, and then what they do is, for example, someone from Bitnob, maybe some a Bitnob user sent someone、um, Sats using Machankara, 
And then the person who has Machankara can go to join Easy and um, convert their Sats to Fiat. And that's like a wonderful like um, Bitcoin circular economy going on. So, so yeah, I mean, I love the fact that you're focused on Bitcoin only, which is great. And also this is an opportunity for anyone who's listening to see if they can extend their um, capacity to also provide this service as well. So I think it's pretty cool. It's a very exciting use case, but be that as it may, I feel this is a really good opportunity to orange peel more people, right? So if you are, if you have um, SATs, you know, why not orange peel the shopkeeper and tell them about how awesome Bitcoin is and even use El Salvador as an example, right? And then Mm -hmm. they see with you and before you know it, that shopkeeper is selling their goods and sats. I mean, I've seen footage of something similar to this happening in some African countries where they use like a wallet of Satoshi to send uh, sats to a shopkeeper and to pay for an item. So like that could happen. It's just another opportunity to orange pill people. I know that you're also working on um, another project, Exonomia. So mm-hmm. do you mind if you could tell us a little bit about that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Exonomia uh, was an idea I had around uh, 2019 while I was still in the cocoon. And I was doing quite a lot of reading um, just to you know, um, know whether or not this Bitcoin thing is a good thing or um, uh, all these Bitcoiners I'm following on Twitter smoking something strong. So, yeah, I did a, quite a lot of reading, read the Bitcoin Standard, great book, highly recommended. Then, you know, there's a lot of other books referenced that um, Bitcoiners always bring up. Uh, one of them being Human Action by Robert von Mises. And I was like, okay, cool. Might as well read that now that I've finished uh, the Bitcoin standard. Oh, by the way, my favorite chapter in the Bitcoin standard is uh, the chapter on time preference and the guy who's stuck on an island, so on and so forth. And yeah, um, but yeah, then I read Human Action. Uh, the audiobook, I listened to it, I didn't read it because, you know, I'm too lazy to open a book, actually. Um, <laughs> So I listened to that 40-hour audiobook. Basically, when I started the cocoon process, um, my commute to work was like 20 minutes, 40 minutes max. Yeah, over time, I was like, oh, if I can push this commute to 60 minutes, I can listen to a whole chapter. So let me push that to 60 minutes. And I would do that by walking. And then that commute became two hours because I basically walked half the way home and then caught a taxi halfway there. Hey, hey, it's me again. Have you heard of the Lightning Network? It's an easy way of making Bitcoin payments faster and cheaper. With BitKnob, you can send and receive any amount of money in Bitcoin across the world. Mm-hmm. You heard that right. Across the world. With little or no fees and in seconds. For speedy Bitcoin transactions, choose BitKnob. Download BitKnob, B-I-T-N-O-B, on your favorite app store today. Or visit the website at bitnob.com. That's B-I-T-N-O-B.com. Yeah, and yeah, Human Action also ended up reading The Fear of History and Money or some, some title like that by Ludwig von Mises. And I referenced that book in the about page for Tunumia, right? And he looked 
at what happens to a language when it dies. So he looked at colonization, basically. One of the first things that happened in colonization is that a new medium of uh, communication is enforced on the people. So um, the main medium of communication being whatever language the colonizer uses. But in his chapter, he was looking at the Irish because I don't know if they were colonized by the English or whatever. And Irish is an actual language, I think. Um, yeah. but, but ultimately what happens is that over time, um, the language dies, you know? Um, the Irish language dies and Irish people um, live their day-to-day activities in English. Right. Um, they go to the bank and talk with the bank teller in English. They plan for their retirement in English, so on and so forth. Right? So whenever they have to do things, they do them in English and they cannot do them. And they don't even have the vocabulary to conduct those transactions in Irish anymore. Right. So... Mm-hmm. Then I looked at Africa and the, the colonization that happened in Africa. Fun fact, same thing happened. Right? Um, our languages are dying. So there's a lot of activities um, we do on a day-to-day basis that we do not have the vocabulary to do in our mother tongue. You know, um, I can't go to the bank and talk about an investment in yeah. I don't know about you. What's your mother tongue? Um, so mine's a little complicated. I was born to speak English. <laughs> that was the first language they taught me. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know my my dad's um local dialect. I'm half okay. Nigerian, so I don't know my dad's local dialect. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, okay, cool. Um, so next time you chilling with him and using Machangura uh, to help him by Eta, ask him if he can go to the bank and talk about his savings account in his native dialect. You know? oh, Ask my him. Gosh, I don't think he'll be able to do that. <laughs> Why not? Okay, so although my dad was born in Nigeria, um, uh-huh. he was taught in English, right? Oh, so okay. he didn't even start. He's not even very fluent in the local language, although uh, he, you know, tries his okay. best, but he's not yeah. fluent in the local language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. That's so cool. your point is your point is actually correct, you know, about the colonizers and how it is their language we're speaking now. So mm. like that is a perfect example. I mean, because mm. oh, yeah. when my dad was going to school, the colonizers were still here in Nigeria. Uh-huh. And they it is English that we that he was taught in. Yeah, you know, and the the chap the chapter actually highlights something else, right? is um, even though English might have not been enforced as a medium of communication, English being used in all these different spheres, like uh, in banking and employment and everything, incentivizes you to learn English. And then there's two trajectories. The The economic trajectory of a person who embraces English and mm-hmm. the trajectory of a person who does not embrace English. And the life of the person who embraces English will be way better than the life of a person who does not. Mm-hmm. Um, and by English, I mean the colonizer's language. 
and by design. The secondary point is now we want to revive these languages because of whatever pride we have. Now, how do you revive the native dialect if the native dialect is not a part of the economy? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you can't. You know, there's no purpose in um, reading African literature in African languages outside of for leisure purposes, of course, um, because most of these African languages are not a part of how the economy operates. Right? And yeah, so basically, that is the root cause for autonomia. Yeah? And why I found it interesting is because, technically speaking, everyone is on the same level with regards to Bitcoin, right? Whether you mm-hmm. speak English, whether you speak um, Swahili, whether you speak whatever other language there is in Africa, Sesotho, Zulu, Kosa, sorry for you mentioning South African languages, I'm in South Africa, what I know. Everyone is, for now, for the time being, on the same language, uh, same level with regards to their understanding of Bitcoin, with regards to how they conversate about Bitcoin. You know? The only difference is all the educational material about Bitcoin is in English. Right? Yeah. So over the long term, the people that are going to adopt Bitcoin the most are going to be the English speakers. Right? And everyone else who cannot speak English will be economically excluded from participating in the Bitcoin circular economy because they do not understand what it is they're looking at. And even if they are motivated enough to do their own research, as everyone says in the space, eh? there's a language barrier between them and the research. Eh? So doing their own research is them finding out, shit, I have to learn English. Eh? That is the research material that they're being presented with. So Exonumia is a project that's trying to level out the playing field, do not, and that's trying to not make English the medium of communication in the um, Bitcoin space, right? And yeah, um, I think it's an achievable goal, personally speaking, because yes, there's a lot of content, but there is only a handful of great Bitcoin literature, you know? And um, what we just need to do is translate that handful of great Bitcoin literature that uh, handful of um, great Bitcoin apps and make it as accessible as possible. Right? And yeah, so that is at the root of the Exonomia project. And there's a few things I learned. And the thing, the major thing that I learned was basically the, the financial system in its current form does not cater for people who technically do not speak the colonizers' medium of instruction. Even in a country like South Africa, where we have 11 official languages, you go to the bank, the forms are in English and Afrikaans. Maybe for that week, you might find a form in a different language, 
But as soon as you continue transacting and need a specific need where that has a, its own special form, this other form is not going to be in your language as well. Right? So a person will not be able to learn about their investment account, will not be able to learn about their savings account, will not be able to learn about their pension fund because most of this content, most of this, uh, the things, the contract itself is not in a language that they can understand. Um, forget whatever is in the fine print, you know. Um, if the fine print is in a language that is probably your fourth language or your third language, mm-hmm. uh, you know, reading it will, will not be as um, alarming as a person who reads English in uh, the first as a first language, right? Subsequent goal for the Exonumia project would be then going out and telling all of these financial institutions, yo, what are you doing to solve this problem that people are not really able to use your services in languages outside of English and um, Afrikaans? And, oh, by the way, there's one bank in South Africa that has Portuguese. Uh, Oh, wow. Wow, indeed. You know, like, I don't know any Portuguese-speaking person uh, across the South African uh, landscape. And then I'm like, wow. So there was a person in the bank who managed to forcefully add Portuguese to the supported languages in that bank, but nobody managed to squeeze in Zulu, which is probably, uh, by statistics, the most spoken um, South African language in the country. So I'm like, okay, cool. That is what exactly is happening. Right? So that's the subsequent goal of the Exonomia project as soon as we get done with the translations of the literature. Yeah, and I think it's great what you're doing by bringing Bitcoin education in the local languages of the people in Africa, which is great. I think mm. the more people, the more we're able to like educate people in their local language, um, you know, you met, you brought up like two things that are very that is very important. One, you are promoting the local language as well, and then mm-hmm. two, like getting people like in tune with the local language, and which consequently would lead to people being able to explain Bitcoin to other people mm. in their local languages. Because imagine you are a native in, I don't know, in a town in South Africa that speaks a particular dialect, you have mm. material in Bitcoin material translated in that, in that South African dialect. And because you've heard the terms in the South African dialect, it's so much easier to orange pill someone else in your locality in their um, native language because you've already heard the terms around with, with it. Um, So I speak Turkish um, fluently, and Mm -hmm. I know it's not an African language, but there was a time when I asked myself, can I actually orange pill a Turkish person in Turkish? And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how they they say certain terms, certain Bitcoin terms in Turkish. So it'll be very difficult for me to orange pill because I've not heard Bitcoin education in that local language. Because you've heard the term, it's a lot easier to tell people about um, Bitcoin. So that's an amazing yeah. job. Amazing. Um, yeah, and uh, 
uh, thank you for bringing that up. Right? Even with when I'm doing the translations, let me be honest, I'm not even interested or um, too focused on inventing new terms, right? Um, because of how language is um, naturally evolves, you know. As soon as people are having a conversation, exactly. Yeah, these terms. Get, uh, grow by themselves. They come. They are brought up by themselves, and the best term wins. You know. So, for the time being, if um, the Turkish language does not have a term for mempu, let's just call it mempu. And then over time, as the conversation for what actually is the mempu, and what purpose does the mempu solve, the people who speak Turkish are going to. Uh, come up with a term for it. You know, you can come up with a term now and do the translation, but chances are your term will not stick. You know, so over time, the the people who speak the language, if they are actually having that conversation, will come up with the terms. Right? But now, I think the most important thing is what you're highlighting. Which, oh, you haven't heard anyone talking about this. In a conversation, so you don't know how you know what term to use, right? So first and foremost, the English term is good enough for now. Um, and then as time goes on, everyone who's having these conversations will come up with the terms and um, uh, actually give people a good term for most of these words, right? And yeah, there's uh, there's no authority in a language. You know, um, even Oxford Dictionary has to add law to the dictionary. It has to, <laughs> yeah. uh, because at the end of the day, language is whatever the people uh, say, uh, use. Uh, however, the people are using the word that is the actual word. Um, while I was in varsity, a lot of people used to say, "Irregardless" is not an actual word. You know? Guess what? Oh, really? In the dictionary, yeah. yeah. Guess what's in the dictionary today? You know, regardless <laughs> of the dictionary, right? it is. It has become a word because people have used it and mm-hmm. people keep using it because in our minds, as soon as I hear someone says "irregardless," makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what's important. What, yeah. Well, forget whatever the grammar says. This word makes sense, and yeah. Um, so. I'm with, also with the Exonomia project and the translation, I'm not looking for the project to become an authority for what a term is. I'm looking to make resources available so that the people who are motivated enough to have the conversations in Turkish with Turkish-speaking people are able to not beat up their heads too much in trying to see how the conversation should flow. Absolutely. And I think that's what's important, you know, sharing Bitcoin education in a way that people are able to understand and also repeat to other people who they feel would also benefit from Bitcoin. And I think, um, you know, that is one characteristic of um, the Bitcoin ecosystem that I'm seeing. You know, it's like you get this information about Bitcoin and you just want to share it to as many people as possible. And, you know, no matter like 
the language, the background, the orientation of the person, just want to share this with other people. And um, through projects like yours and um, other similar projects, it just makes this so much easier um, because not everybody has the capacity to translate in like translate different languages. Um, there are thousands of African dialects um, alone. Ooh. So like the more people who are engaged in this project, the better and the more we, are we know that we're able to reach to um, reach more people and spread the information on Bitcoin. So I think that's very exciting. And it's um, wonderful how you have great projects that are catering to the grassroots. I think that is something that is so important. Um, what people don't understand, especially those who are uh, from the West, is that Africa is diverse, right? And mm -hmm. it's not it's not as if um, we have one culture or one uh, medium of um, communication. We have so many. We're very different people. You know, even in one African, like one African country alone can have several dialects, right? Like in Nigeria, mm -hmm. um, I know that in um, the, I think in Edo State, there are like 200 dialects alone. So mm -hmm. if one section of a country can have up to 200 dialects, you can imagine how it is in other parts of Africa. So mm -hmm. I think that is a that is a thing that people in the West don't get. So they feel like, oh, it's just English. It'll get round to everybody. But that's not the case. We still mm -hmm. need projects like yours to help push Bitcoin education. And it's just really exciting that you're doing this thing. Yeah, no. And your point highlights that Africa is, you know, I don't know what which term to use, but something, something to do with decentralization. Um, mm -hmm. The mother of, of all decentralization. Even though there's all those different dialects, they still um, coordinate when they need to coordinate um, in those regions. It's not like there's 200 dialects and all these people are mutually exclusive from each other. I um, had this other idea or realization that technically one common factor across the African continent is this continuous creation of culture. We are always moving, you know, um, culturally speaking. That is why we have so many dialects. That is why we have so many tribes. That is why we have um, so many genres of music and subgenres of music as well. Because we always trying to get on to the next one. Right? And this is the other side thing with colonization. As you said, what, what's the region you mentioned that has two, 200 dialects? Edo State okay. and Nigeria, yeah. Oh, Edo State. Okay, Edo State. And when colonization happened, this is the saddest thing for me, right? I'm assuming because I don't know about it, but this is an assumption. Right? Colonization then created a snapshot of 200 dialects, right? And ever mm -hmm. since colonization, there has not been any new dialect. Not to say that people are not creating new dialects on a daily basis, but the system of country, whatever, you know, does not identify or, what's the word, have a system to credit or to recognize a new dialect as it's being born. Right? Um, I am, so to speak, in, 
do not, but I do not identify with the Sotho people. Uh, primarily because I grew up in Mamilodi, the Mafias. And technically speaking, we have our own culture, we have our own dialect and our own way of doing things. Even when a person tries to do the same traditions that the Sotho people used to do, you can't do them in a township. You know, you can't just slaughter a cow or leave a cow in your backyard because your backyard is smaller than what your uh, grandfather's homestead used to be. So mm -hmm. there's no space for you to just leave the cow there for two days or three days and then on the third day slaughter it or whatever the tradition dictates that you should do for whatever ceremony that you have. Right? So you have to do whatever makes sense for your, the area you're in so for me, I'm like, okay, now we, as Mamilodi people, or as Mamilodians, we are a new tribe, yeah, or a new tribe in South Africa. Right? But there is no system in set in place for us to register as a new tribe in the South African um, constitution. Oh, actually there is, but it, it identifies historical tribes more than new tribes. Right? Dialects and cultures and traditions keep on being created. One side project, one small side project I would like to see is, oh, I get, um, make the understanding well known or broadly known that, oh, as Africans, we create culture, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Even this whole thing of preserving your culture for me does not entirely make sense. And I say this as a person who's trying to make um, Bitcoin translations into African languages. Like, um, what I'm doing is technically not trying to preserve that culture. Yeah. I'm trying to create a new culture and a new tribe, uh, a Bitcoin tribe to be specific. Right? And as you were saying earlier in the call, that um, everyone is doing something different, non-technical, technical, whatever, Bitcoin maximalist, shitcoin or whatever. But the thing that brings us together is Bitcoin. Right? I see that happening across the African continent. Whatever your dialect is, whatever region you're in, whatever music you listen to, or whatever music you create, at the end of the day, when you are talking to someone who's in Southern Africa and you're in West Africa, the conversation or the thing that brings us together or the common ground is Bitcoin. And I see a Bitcoin tribe forming. And the Bitcoin tribe does not require you to speak the same language as the next Bitcoiner, just as long as you understand that, oh, this is how Bitcoin works, so on and so forth. Like you said earlier um, during the podcast, like uh, you never know what will happen in the next 20 years to Bitcoin. And um, now with the translations happening, like you said, it's like creating a new tribe a new culture around bitcoin and it's just very exciting and i'm looking forward to um 20 years down the road to see how this turns out um and i'm very grateful that you took out time to be on the podcast today and to share your insights on you know um music on machankra and also on exonomia so thank mm. you so much for your time kotatsu uh -huh. thank you so much for having me and Allowing me to have a free flowing conversation and rant on and on and on. <laughs> I, lo I love it. You know, I actually really, really love it. And I learned a lot. And I think our audience also have learned a lot from you. So thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Well, by the way, I was on a call with Lucas before this. And 
uh, this is a shout out to him and he says hi to you as well. Oh, thank you so much. You shout out Lucas. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. Um, enjoy the conversation. So, yeah, thank you so much, Katatsu. And I'm sure I'm going to have you again on the show because I believe that um, mm-hmm. you're gonna, your projects are going to grow and maybe, who knows, maybe you come up mm-hmm. with a new project. What an amazing episode. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we have. Subscribe to know when next we release a new episode. Drop a review. Let us know your thoughts about the podcast. Follow Bitnob on Twitter at Bitnob underscore official. That's at B-I-T-N-O-B underscore O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L. See you in the next episode. <laughs>